Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Effective Altruism Forum Weekly. My name is Colin Snell. This is, of course, the summarizing podcast where we take the top-rated articles and comments from each week on the Effective Altruism Forum and summarize them, give them a snapshot of what the community is thinking, writing, and discussing that week. Thank you all so much for joining, and we can go ahead and jump right into it. In the philosophy and methodology section for the week, we have Don't Balk at Animal-Friendly Results by Bob Fisher. The Moral Weights Project, which was, of course, ran by, in part, Bob Fisher of Rethink Priorities, assumes two things. First, hedonism. And second, that we can use various capacities as proxies for a species range of possible welfare states. This allows us to, in theory, use various capabilities uh, to observe capacities that a species might have and have that inform the amount of moral weight we might attribute to that species. It's a starting point for argumentation on the amount of moral consideration compared to humans as a baseline. Bob's post here warns against knee-jerk skepticism if research leads to the conclusion that chickens and humans can realize roughly the same amount of welfare at any given time. This is called the equality result. It doesn't argue for the equality result in and of itself. However, there are three distinct sections of this argument that Bob presents. First, the implications are too huge. Under utilitarianism, it means we should massively shift resources towards animals. Utilitarianism is the reason for the radical implications found in some of these results, and the equality result is just the messenger. Second, maybe the hedonism assumption is wrong. Fair, though per previous posts, hedonism doesn't change the bottom line very much in terms of the equality result. Even if hedonic goods and bads aren't all of welfare, which surely they aren't, there is still a large component of welfare states made up by hedonism. And third, even accepting the assumptions, the equality result feels wrong. This intuition is uncalibrated, and it's affected by different cognitive biases that humans have. Conditional on hedonism, the equality result wouldn't be surprising, as it fits with popular theories of valence and popular theories of hedonistic and well-being. Bob is just here arguing in favor of trying to take a moment of pause if you feel that knee-jerk skepticism, and presenting three arguments on why it might not be best to lean into that sense and that just immediate intuition, in order to be able to look at the results as they are, and not just immediately dismiss them. An apt quote here that Bob doesn't mention is from Bertrand Russell. Of course, ask yourself, what solely are the facts? Moving on to the object-level interventions and reviews section, the first post we have is in a new subsection of existential risks that include AI, and the article is called How Many People Are Working Directly on Reducing Existential Risk from AI. Benjamin Hilton, ADK, estimate around 400 full-time employees three quarters of which are focused on technical AI safety research, with the rest being distributed between strategy, governance, and general advocacy. The next post is a really interesting one from Nuno Sempre called Can GPT-3 Produce New Ideas? Partially Automating Robin Hansen and Others. The author experimented with asking GPT-3 by OpenAI to replicate patterns of insight. 
Things like variations on, quote, if you never miss a plane, you've been spending too much time at the airport, end quote. It generates somewhat original outputs that match these patterns, but no really truly great insights. Curiously, the author also noted that both DaVinci 3 as well as ChatGPT tended to steer toward politically correct outputs. The next article we have is by Holen Karnofsky, and it's called How We Could Stumble Into AI Catastrophe. In this article, Karnofsky proposes two stylized stories about how, if transformative AI is developed relatively soon, it could result in a global catastrophe. The first of these two paths that are quite stark is misaligned AI. The second is aligned AI. So starting with the misaligned AI, what Karnofsky paints here is gradually different AI systems that aren't generally intelligent are used for larger and larger tasks. This results in getting larger warning signs, bigger red flags that go up in development, However, training approaches would become less able over time to weed out bad behavior due to things like deception. Eventual mass deployment in riskier domains fall over and spill over into just truly bad domains for this technology to get released in. This, of course, story ends with AIs controlling everything important and vital to humanity and us succumbing to it. The next one is the AI that is aligned. So the situation here that Karnofsky paints is perhaps AI being aligned is the default. And even if this is the case, this might not be the best thing for humanity's future, unless if we are aware of it, there's still big fish to fry, big existential risk fish to fry going forward. So what would a bad outcome even with aligned AI look like? What do we have to protect against? Well, Karnofsky argues one example is that one government gets there first and seizes worldwide control with the tremendous power transformative AI would bring. AIs would then be used to create weapons we can't defend against. Another example of aligned AI causing massive disruption and chaos would be the situation where digital humans are created without proper rights. Karnofsky also outlines other general ways towards chaos and disruption of society that might schism and cascade into general widespread systemic disruption and destruction. Previous posts in the series have pointed at potential solutions. These are things like strong alignment research, standards and monitoring in AI development, as well as successful and careful AI projects, and lastly, strong security systems. The next article is by Sonera, and it's called Heretical Thoughts on AI, Eli Dorado. This is a link post for a blog which presents the case for skepticism that AI will be economically transformative near term. The key argument is that the biggest bottlenecks to productivity gains in key industries are often regulatory, legal, and social, as opposed to technological, or merely just technological. The next post we have is by Andy McKenzie and a transcript of Sam Altman's interview touching on AI safety. Recently, Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, was interviewed by Connie Lozos. This was a video interview, and this post calls out some AI safety relevant parts of the interview's transcript. Some of the key thoughts are also summarized, which are relating to OpenAI. First, OpenAI uses external auditors, red teamers, other labs, and safety organizations to consider impacts. Alton argues that the goal is AGI. All of the products and partnerships are in direct service and pursuit of that. 
He mentions that the Microsoft partnership allows access to great supercomputers and infrastructure. And lastly, in the considering OpenAI or relating to OpenAI section, we have releases will be slower than people would like. And that GPT-4 won't match the hype that it's currently getting in the press. Next is the summaries of the transcript relating to just AI in, in more general terms. Short timelines with slow takeoff are best. Incrementally putting out better AIs over time is what Altman would prefer and also thinks is most realistic. The biggest risk is an accidental misuse of AI and it could, quote, kill all of us, which doesn't seem like the best. Sam also notes that competition and multiple AGIs are positive. This is because, he argues, it would distribute power and reflect multiple different worldviews. We should also have some hard limits around them and flexibility within that. Second and last, Sam argues that people talk about alignment and capabilities as orthogonal, but they're all basically the same. Deep learning pr progress will solve both, he argues. Many of these are hot takes. Uh, however, the last of the key thoughts from Sam in this list is starting with language models. Sam argues that we can just tell AI the values we want it to act in line with. Now, if only we could just figure out what we want as a species. Under the section of global health and development, we have our first article by Rethink Priorities, Ruby Dixon, Creer Gosnell, James Hugh, and Melanie Bosnick called Livelihood Interventions, Overviews, Evolution, or excuse me, Evaluation, and Cost Effectiveness. This is a research report on the effectiveness of three initiatives. These are bolstering agricultural productivity, technical vocation, and job search training, as well as entrepreneurial support related. These are all aiming to increase the incomes of adults in poverty. The project was supported by the Livelihood Impact Fund, which intended to be a first step in understanding the promise and cost effectiveness of interventions in this area. It also isn't comprehensive, the authors want to note. Some of the key takeaways from this research is first, agricultural interventions have the highest potential for impact on consumption due to the centrality of subsistence agriculture among the world's poorest people. Next, we have subsidized training can improve income by as much as 55% over following years after intervention. The best effects come from formal certification, partially because it aids job mobility. The next finding is that women's entrepreneurship programs, which grant money or mentorship, these are things like in-kind grants and access to financial services, all seriously impact business performance and the bottom line. The authors also roughly estimate cost effectiveness for two organizations in the space. The first is Spark Microgrants, which gives $8,000 grants in training to impoverished rural villages to identify and implement a village level investment. This comes out to about $28 in income generation per dollar spent. The other organization they estimate cost effectiveness for is Akira Chicks, which trains women for careers in technology. And this came out to about $11 in income generation per dollar spent. The next article we have is called Introducing Lafaya Nigeria by Kau Chimilska. Lafaya Nigeria is a nonprofit that works towards ending maternal mortality in Nigeria. They do this by increasing access to contraceptives and recruiting local nurses and midwives to provide education and distribution. 
Their pilot reached 2.4 thousand women with a cost of $3 per three-month contraceptive delivered. They also are estimating a $12 per dolly, that's a disability-adjusted life year, averted, as well as a $30 per pregnancy averted set of cost-effectiveness. After six months, they scaled to 342%, they scaled by 342%, I should say, of the government's distribution in the same timescale. They have a need for volunteers, for impact analysis, technical advice from family planning experts, and a funding gap currently sitting around $50,000 in 2023 to reach their scaling goals. Next, moving on to the rationality and life advice section, we have Confusing the Ideal for the Necessary by Adam Shimi. It's easy to accidentally turn ideal conditions into necessary conditions, or seemingly necessary conditions. The ideal condition for research is long, uninterrupted sessions of deep, intense focused work. But that doesn't mean that it's still not the best use of 15-minute time slots between meetings. Noticing and intentionally choosing whether to do something, even if the conditions aren't ideal, both helps you focus on what's important and can train skills like the ability to context switch very quickly. That last post also was from the Less Wrong Forum. So Zoe Williams, who does the weekly summaries written form that I then adapt for script, also writes them for the Less Wrong Forum. So go over and check it out if you are interested in reading the other two articles from Less Wrong Forum that she summarized this week. Now, moving on to the community and media section of the podcast, we have an article called Doing EA Better by Concerned EAs. Concerns and suggestions on the EA movement written by an unknown number of EAs, primarily before the FTX collapse, includes a large list of proposals. The author's summaries, which is lightly edited by Zoe, reads, EA has grown rapidly and has a responsibility to live up to its goals. EA is too homogeneous, hierarchical, and intellectually insular, with a hard core of orthodox thought and powerful barriers to deep critiques that actually matter. Many beliefs accepted in EA are surprisingly poorly supported, and we ignore disciplines with relevant and valuable insights. Some EA beliefs and practices align suspiciously well with the interests of our donors, and some of our practices render us susceptible to conflicts of interest. Lastly, EA decision-making is highly centralized. It's opaque, and it's unaccountable. However, there are several evidence-based methods for improving the situation we're in. Not all is lost. The article then goes on to suggest reforms on how to improve the community. The first of these is put lots of funding, time, and events into encouraging and engaging with critiques, both on the object level research and on the EA community and methods more broadly. Next, we have be more epistemically modest and avoid EA becoming highly associated with specific beliefs or cause areas, focusing instead on EA as a question. Third, we have increased diversity both of EAs and of academic disciplines and worldviews EA is built on and interacts with. Make being EA less central to people's identities and job or grant prospects and opportunities. Next, we have distribute EA funds more democratically and reduce EA organizations' reliance on these funds as well as reliance on funding from tech companies. Next, we have reduce the power of a small number of community leaders in decision-making and media. After that, we have be super transparent. Be transparent on funding, 
on hiring, on decision-making, on openness to journalists, and a wide range of other things. There are so many comments on this article. Overall, the forum listed as a 84-minute read with 360 comments. <laughs> to say the article created quite a stir is a little bit of understatement. I believe there's probably as many words written in the comments as there is in the article itself. And again, it's already an 84-minute read as an article, so it's not short by any measure. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a really, really interesting time to dive in the comments. And frankly, uh, as someone who occupies a position of, uh, of power within EA, as the president of Cornell EA, uh, I feel like it's my responsibility as well as the responsibility of many and many other folks who make decisions to read this and consider and really critically think about some of the things they're saying, uh, as well as reading the comments and trying to really suss out how you feel about these claims and not just taking it at face value. So that is uh, my appeal to uh, spend a great deal of time reading this thing if you are interested in improving this community. If you care a lot about this community, it's definitely worth the read. Finishing up today's episode, we have Liska's post called Posts from 2022 You Thought Were Valuable or Underrated. The recent form wrapped initiative allowed people to see what they had upvoted in 2022 and mark some posts as, quote, most valuable. This post shows what posts were most often marked, in addition to which were underrated by karma relative to these votes. See the post for the full list, but the top two most voted were concrete biosecurity projects, some of which could be big by ASB and ECA, as well as power dynamics between people and EA by Julia Wise. The top two underrated were the Great Energy Descent, short version, an important thing EA might have missed by Quarantine Bitau, which discusses the decline in available energy in the coming decades. The other most underrated was what you prioritize is mostly moral intuition. Also, on a personal note, the Ozden piece is one that I have been saying is underrated by a lot of folks for like a weirdly long amount of time. Uh, I don't know why I zoomed in on that one, but it does feel good to have Lizka's post kind of certify uh, that I was I was right that the EA community was sleeping on that post because it's, it's a really, really good one. But nonetheless, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we are trying to end these episodes a little bit early, so we're not stretching to the 30 minute mark like some of the past weeks. So unfortunately, we couldn't include everything in this week. So go read Zoe's article summaries because they have the full list. Some of the sections that we didn't get to were the special mentions, as well as all the opportunities and community section. So go do yourself a favor, read over those. And thank you guys so much for sticking with me and also for listening through. Thank you so much to Type 3 Audio for your support in uploading these episodes. Thank you to Zoe Williams, of course, for writing them. And thank you to Rethink Priorities for also helping to make it happen. And as always, remember to keep engaging with the things that you find meaningful and cultivating that sense of purpose that you have in doing effective altruism work, as well as anything else you might be engaged with that you think is important because meaning motivates. See you guys next week.